Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. You're listening to Cinematic Doctrine. Yeah, so if you just press play, you were missing out on 38 minutes. Holy crap. We went oh, wow. Uh 38 minutes of talking <laughs> about uh, not just forgiveness, um, but uh, how we communicate and process particular biblical things that we're learning or currently mm-hmm. learning or believe we have learned or whatever. Um, you know, it's sanctification is a growing process. Um, and uh, the reason we had this conversation is because on the last episode, Fireproof, if you're listening into the main feed, there was a brief part about 40 to 45 minutes in where we talked about forgiveness. Well, in the original recording, it was much longer. Uh, mm. And as the two of us kind of talked through it, and then as I was editing it, I kind of we kind of just realized we were in agreement that like we didn't really represent the concept of forgiveness well. And by we, I mean me. <laughs> and we wanted to be careful about, first off, how we communicated with it, and then kind of get into what we really want to communicate about forgiveness and we literally talked about it like for i think like an additional like hour and a half after the recording i can't remember how long our phone call was because we just really needed to figure out and uh, melanie was good to to press me on it too because because the spirit was clearly using people to press me on this because the way i was talking about it was not good so we then spent the 38 minutes before this talking about it because of course patreon supporters had heard that content because it's not just the content in the beginning of every episode that you're getting but content later in episodes that you also get as well um that i otherwise trim out to bring the episode length down from like an hour 45 to like an hour 20 so Mm. um yeah i think it's a really good conversation where we really continue on like perhaps why i talked the way i did but then also why it's good that I backtracked and said, like, you know, Melanie, you were right. And also a friend uh, on the outside uh, who was also right. Um, and also why, <laughs> like, podcasting is not just podcasting, but communication is so important in how we share just specifics about the Bible and stuff. In addition to that, also podcasting, because the two of us like what we, <laughs> we tune into stuff like this. So we, we're always reflecting on on this kind of medium. So 38 minutes of that, yeah. you get to tune into it, support on Patreon for $3 a month, and you get access to that and a bunch of other content. Um, you'll hear about other perks for supporting on Patreon as we go through this, and uh, they're going to be a little call to actions come in every 10 to 15 minutes. Um, yeah, So, but otherwise, you press play because you wanted to listen to us talk about Princess Mononoke, or Mononoke Hime. And we, yeah, we're doing this because it's in, it's May, which again, sometimes we coined as anime. It's gonna be May. Which I thought was clever. And then it turns out like every <laughs> retail company calls it that if they sell anime stuff. So, <laughs> well, I guess I knew it subconsciously. Excellent. But um, <laughs> yeah, so we're going to talk about anime stuff throughout this month. I think there might be one week where we don't, but I don't know. I don't know what we're doing that week, actually, but we'll figure it out because it would also be nice to have a break. But we're going to be starting with Princess Mononoke from Studio Ghibli. Yes. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. Uh, Do you want to actually introduce this one for us and kind of give us some background on it? Sure. So one of my all-time favorite animes, and if anyone wants to argue with me, 
I will not get into that with you because then I'll get emotional. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it's, um, oh my gosh, I love this film. I loved it since the first time that I watched it many years ago. And it just tells us, it's a story of man versus nature uh, told through the eyes of a young man named um, Ashitaka who finds himself after battling a demon that attacks his village. He um, goes on a quest to not only lift the curse from his battle, but also finds himself caught between um, two different worlds. You have these, um, so in his journeying, trying to find answers, trying to lift the curse, he comes across a village of people who um, are trying to create a life for themselves. And in order to do that, they've been destroying the forest. But they also are met with opposition from the forest gods and forest creatures of that land who want to preserve the forest and want to preserve um, their way of life. And these creatures are very large. So they're not just like your average size wolves or average size boar or anything like that. They're very, very large and they're viewed as gods, gods of the forest. And so Ashitaka finds himself in the midst of, of these two sides. And I think that the film is just so beautifully animated. I feel like it's such a compelling story that has just all the things you want in a good story. It's funny, it's dramatic, it has exciting and excessive action sequences. Um, If you're squeamish about blood, this probably is not the movie for you. Um, And it's also Hayao Miyazaki's like at least to my knowledge, his only really bloody, violent film that he's ever created. Um, If there's another one out there, I haven't seen it. Um, And the characters are great. They're very relatable, even in this very fantasy-driven world. And um, my favorite characters are the little Kudomas, those little white um, tree spirits. They're so adorable. Ah! I want a keychain of them so bad. But anyway, that's basically the, the premise of the story. And if you haven't seen it yet, I would highly recommend it. I think it's a a phenomenal, phenomenal story. But as a disclaimer, um, not Miyazaki normally does things for younger children. I would definitely exercise more caution just because of the violence. It is very bloody. So that's something if um, you're thinking about a family movie night, might want to think again, depending on how old the kids are, what your comfortability. Yeah. It's PG 13 for images of violence and gore. Um, I, it's. I almost would say it's less bloody and just more like severed. That is true. <laughs> it's it's less dripping and more it just shocking. Like things fl- it, yeah, it's very. Um, All of the violence is played in a very yeah. shocking manner. Yeah, um, for sure. So that's definitely definitely present. Um, but even on that note, like I, I this is my first time watching it in definitely over a decade. The first time I watched it, uh, when I described this to my boss, he went, whoa. The first time I watched this was when it first aired on TV, which was on Cartoon Network. Whoa! <laughs> on Toonami. I remember, <laughs> I remember the advertising for Toonami when they're advertising the prep for this. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. I want to watch that. And I didn't oh, know anything about wow. Ghibli. I didn't know anything. That takes me back. So anyway. yeah, Toonami would do these like Saturday night like movies and mm-hmm. stuff. And uh, and yeah, so I was super excited, checked it out. I think I recorded it. So this is like early TiVo. <laughs> Man, this is nice. really old. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was definitely oh, wow. too young to watch it in respect to like uh, violence, because this was my first time experiencing, I think, uh, 
a trauma response to violence um, mm. in a movie. And I wouldn't say that was bad. It was really more curious to me because I felt mm-hmm. like the pit in my stomach specifically. Um, so the one particular group uh, in this uh, film, they have guns. No one else does, but they have guns. Right. And they're very primitive, like giant. They're like mini hand cannons. And like, right. there's just like a part where like these samurai are coming and charging and then they just mm-hmm. line up the guns and fire. Smoke scatters everywhere. And as the smoke dissipates, they just show like all these samurai and their like limbs are gone. It's just right. like, oh my like, gosh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was yeah. like, like, oh, <laughs> it's my very, Yeah. It's and so very, I remember uh, that lingering. Shocking. So it's pretty funny. I don't think it was like my parents were being bad parents or anything, but it was yeah. just, it was a, uh, a very early experience um, in that respect, which I very much appreciated because the movie's also awesome. So yeah. all of that was really cool. Being able to watch something that I otherwise probably wasn't the best to watch as a kid, which always feels cool. Um, but also like the the movie's very pretty, like you said. And I think there is a way in which even though it's, I would say, a pretty high uh high concept isn't the right word because that actually means something different but it's very high brow in terms of like the movie's almost like a political drama between like yeah warring factions and like mm-hmm. they just happen to be humans and then gorillas and then wolves and then yeah. wars. and so <laughs> even though they're all like these different animals that there's very much like uh this sense of like honor and duty that's presence mm-hmm. while also a recognition of like the concepts of life and death and like yeah. how they play into their like lifestyles. And I don't, it's just like, it's very, uh, it's big. It's, I would almost go so far as to say like epic is the right word uh, to describe the, um, the setting and, and tone of the movie. And yeah, there was just something kind of awesome about like, <laughs> <laughs> like just being like, I don't know, I guess I was probably like seven watching this because I'm pretty sure I watched this when I was in elementary school. So oh, like, wow. yeah, this is a long time ago. Um, yeah. But obviously this rewatch uh, of which I did very recently. So I didn't just <laughs> I didn't just go into this episode with the right. memory I had of seeing it as a kid, although that'd be objectively funny. You may not know this, but the easiest way you can show your support for Cinematic Doctrine is to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. So press pause and share your thoughts. We'd love to hear what you have to say. And then press play again so you can hear the rest of the show. Did you feel like there was something in particular that really... um that really stood out to you more this time than the first time? Because like when you're a kid, I don't know if... I know you talked about this a little bit, but for me, it was like, oh, look at all that action. And oh, look, there's yes. Sanj. Yeah, She's yeah. riding on a wolf. Cool. So cool. So I was very excited <laughs> about that. But I think there were just other themes that I gravitated towards as watching it more as an adult. And I didn't know if there was anything for you because you you hadn't seen it in so long. Was there anything for you in particular that stood out to you more this time than the first time? Well, I do know that apart from the trauma response to some violence uh Mm. one of the things that lingered with me that i really liked was was um so uh i just want to get this name right for this character uh yeah lady eboshi she she is caring for like all these different groups of people Mm -hmm. and then in one particular case we learned that like she is showing respect and care to lepers which at that although this isn't set this is set in a fictional world right within the um 
context of where they are developmentally and technologically, like interacting with lepers, like you might as well die, like, because you're just going to get leprosy and die. But she is caring for these people, providing for them, giving them purpose. And like, to them, that is like, a really important and big deal. And so as a kid, like I, I, that's something I've always remembered and is stuck with me about the character. And then I do remember as a um, kid, like finding that to be a heroic thing. But then I also recognized, I think she might be the antagonist. And so kind of like recognizing as a child, like the complicated nature of some people being, having good qualities while also then being, like potentially against your hero because i may be a kid but i understand the concept of the hero's story like there's the protagonist who you are oftentimes functionally agreeing with while the narrative continues and then whoever's Mm -hmm. against them is against you as the audience and um this movie was much more complicated than that now as an adult i understood that most characters function in this way not just eboshi that a lot of the characters in the movie had their own motivations and had their own positives but also were observing how like these motivations would then make them antagonistic to other figures in the story and so like even our main character he fights off this beast that has been taken over by a corruptive like uh curse mm-hmm. and when he does that he gets cursed himself and even though he's now cursed he then goes off on this adventure to try to heal the curse but then Mm -hmm. is realizing if he does that or tries to first avenge the person who caused the creature to become cursed he would then be doing something extremely destructive to an entire community that is otherwise Mm -hmm. thriving because of this person and so like i was then now as an adult going oh everybody has these motivations that are completely in conflict with each other yeah and it then made him more compelling as a character because he's laying down what he believes he's right to, which is vengeance, for the sake of something that's bigger than himself. And I, I right. thought that was that was definitely like to answer your question, like something that as an adult I really saw differently. But I'm also interestingly seeing as a development from what I saw as a child. So that's mm-hmm. kind of cool to cool to think about. No, that's, that's good. Cause these, those are some of the things that I felt like I was able to appreciate just a little bit. Uh, I was able to appreciate a little bit more as an adult and even just grow a little bit more emotionally attached to some of these yes. characters, just kind of seeing what their inspiration is. And um, even just how hate and division can blind people from mm-hmm. seeing another's perspective and just want to cause them to like destroy one another. So when you think about, you know, San, who is a young girl who was raised by wolves, um, her family abandoned her in the forest and Mauro, the um, kind of like the head um, God who is like a, in the form of like this giant wolf um, Mm -hmm. rather than eating her, she decided to take pity on her and raise her. So you have this, human perspective of the forest, like someone else to like voice that opinion, which is again, very cool. And San is able to, is also filled with that same hatred that you see in the people of Irontown. You know, it's like, they're just, these characters are just so multifaceted, which is just life. And which is, you know, humanity. Like there's, 
we can be compassionate and we can be caring. So you see San caring for Ashitaka when he got injured, you know, so there's all these like nurturing aspects to San, but you also see those same nurturing aspects and how the people of Irontown respect and treat one another. Well, respect for the most part. Some of the men were a little too much in regards to the women. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, like no, no funny business, but you could, you could see that the men had their opinions on the women of Irontown. There was um, something more agreeable about their function in contrast to like their social function, their social, their culture, than what it sounds like the culture was outside. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So like in, so to, for people who haven't seen it, um, in Iron Town, a lot of the women were women who used to work in brothels. And Lady Iboshi decided to buy their contracts, get them out of those brothels so that they could do some honest work. And so there's none of that happening in Iron Town anymore. But because the men know that those were some of the women came from, there can be kind of like this, um, What's the word I'm looking for? They they kind of look it's down. It's just on like them. a layover. Yeah, like it's, yeah. It's they they see that they're that Iboshi would look down and consider them equals, if not better than them. Right. Men. Um, <laughs> the men, as men typically do, <laughs> will then mistreat <laughs> or disregard the women. Right. I was going to say, but as far as like the actual culture and how they are interacting with one another, there doesn't seem to be any. Like everyone is, everyone is working and everyone is, is contributing to making Iron Town function as a group together. So, um, but yeah, if you watch the film, all these kind of little pieces will come together and it'll make sense. But um, yeah, just to kind of see how each side has this nurturing care, like, or just a side where they're all like a community coming together and they can do good. You also see the flip side of that with their hatred for one another. And so there's like a scene where San and Lady Eboshi are fighting in the village and the people are literally screaming, kill her, skin her, like all these like really like horrible graphic things, (laughs) brutal. But if you think about it, the wolves have killed a lot of their people and have um, destroyed, like, so when the when the people go on these, like, little journeys to gather rice, or, again, to to, to continue to build the town, they've been attacked. To live. By, Just to, to live, live. To survive. <laughs> you know, they've yeah. been attacked by forest creatures. So that's one of the, the great things I really um, love and appreciate about this film is because there isn't really, like, a villain, per se. Like, mm-hmm. there isn't, like, these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. You're able to kind of, through Ashitaka being that middle middle ground, that middle person. Like, observer, yeah. Yeah, like the, like the outside observer. Just really able to see both sides and have compassion for both. And just, like, kind of sit back and be like, oh, my gosh, I wonder what's going to happen next. <laughs> and yeah. I think that's... I'm watching it as an adult. That's that's. I mean, I know what's going to happen next, but I'm kind of just able to like sit with that a little bit more. Um, whereas a kid, I was more just like, "When are they going to start fighting again?" Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. Know? So yeah, no, it's just really neat. What what you're kind of bringing up with that Ashitaka is more of an observer. Something I liked was that the the movie setup with his character is he's defending his village from this nightmare creature that is basically one of the gods being corrupted through hatred. And we also learn he's a prince of their particular town. And Mm -hmm. there's something 
very mature about his character. He he has a sense of presence and honor, but also personal vengeance that he's initially motivated to 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 fulfill when he leaves because he he knows like this god. Otherwise, the, the the giant boar, this god would not have attacked or become this creature that it did unless for something else. And so that's right. why he goes off to try to find. And um, yeah, very very early in the movie, he learns that it was Lady Eboshi who had influenced this event to to occur. And there's something something I was thinking of throughout the movie, which I wonder, like, if in a live action setting, his character would be be much easier to understand, because there's a lot of scenes where it seems like Ashitaka is supposed to be more reflective and. Mm-hmm. and that would be in a live action be expressed through micro expressions or in more direct micro just just small motions or movements that are otherwise more difficult to animate and that's not to say like the movie's poorly animated it's greatly animated it's just a very complicated thing and like cuz his character the curse like imbues into his arm and he right. becomes extremely powerful because mm-hmm. of this to the point that he's surprised. It's like the beginning of Friday the 13th part six, where Jason like rips a guy's heart out and noticeably is confused. Cause he's like, I couldn't do that before. <laughs> and like, <laughs> there's like no way. And he, so he like is riding a horse. These men attack him. He fires his bow and like the, the arrow slices through two guys. This one guy's both of his arms and he just, Oh loses my goodness. Them, which is like, that doesn't happen, but clearly through the power of this, curse now it does and um as the film develops it's sort of asserting that like this violence that can be bred through hatred is extremely strong yeah but his character being reflective and observant is both tempted to to commit to this violence that he has while also tempted uh has to has to discipline himself and control it Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i was thinking like like one of the like recurrent kind of consistent themes is that like hatred is intoxicating and powerful and strong. But I was thinking like something like hatred can only really show its power through violence. Mm. And so like, there's not much more you can do other than killing, which is like, which is admittedly a very easy thing to do. And so Mm. like, it's not like that's all that powerful, um, and yet the movie also has this consistent thread of like the difficulty it is to commit to something like love, which under that category would be like creation, positive creation, not destruction, like hatred of mm-hmm. which destruction sometimes is positive. I mean, they have to destroy part of the forest to work on the iron and stuff like that. And that is a positive thing. They need iron. Although in the film it is described it is largely used just for weaponry, but mm. in a, Outside the movie sense, uh, yeah. iron's not bad. But <laughs> Enjoying this episode? Grab that share link and tell your friends. Word of mouth is the most effective way for a podcast to reach new listeners, so don't be shy. Share the episode wherever you can. Yeah, the hatred is, is like blind. Like you talked about like the blinding... of like hatred. Yeah, there's like a pretty consistent theme of that where like the first creature is defeated by targeting the eyes. Um, Mm -hmm. The first cursed creature, which is so imbued with hatred, its last dying words is like, I hate humans, I'm going to kill you all, or something like that. Yeah, like, and he's just like, (laughs) you're like, basically said, one day you'll all feel my hate and suffer like I did. It's like, so cool. So very cool. But it's it's just, (laughs) 
like, whoa. It's just a great way to like start the film, but it's like, what's going to happen next? It's right after, too. Like, they have their like shaman come out to say, like, we'll build um, right. a shrine like, in your honor. Please rest. Know like, that we didn't want to do us. this. And like, yeah, then it's just like, I hate you all, burn in hell. Like, whoa. <laughs> awesome um yeah it's, it's really it's good really, hook. it's nuts and i think it can even just something could be said just about how like when you're when someone is so consumed by hatred mm. it's really hard to kind of let anything else in i think there's just a lot of implications that could be made just from this imagery alone but i think like you said the main things you can take away for certain is that hatred uh breeds violence and blinds people from finding any kind of peace. So even thinking about Ashitaka with that curse now, now that he has that um, curse on him, there's really, he was not going to be, he was looking for peace, looking for a way to lift the curse. And there was just um, for the longest time, just nothing that would, that would lift it. And he was just trying to um, make peace with that. And I think there's even just something to be said, not just about hatred, but even about fear. Cause I think fear also had a huge part to play in this, um, all consuming, um, thing that turns these gods into demons. So like, um, the boar that attacks them in the beginning of the film, this boar, we've been talking about this giant pig. Um, you find out that he was a, a forest God known as, um, Nago, I think it was his name. Yes. Yeah, I think so. And um he was afraid. Like he got um shot by a bullet from Iboshi. Hopefully people are following along because I know it's a lot of stuff we're, <laughs> we're so sharing. much. Yeah. Yeah. But um basically he was shot, and as he's running away, it was his fear of death and then his hatred of his situation and of humans and everything that just kind of fully consumed him and turned um, instead of being a god, he wasn't a god anymore. He turns into a demon. And that's something that we then see happen later in the film with Akoto, who's like the head, the oldest of all the these um, these godlike wild boar. Um, he starts to burn. He, As he describes it, he's like, something's burning inside of me. And then the the squiggly things, like the, the demon yeah. uh, stuff just starts like pouring out of his body. And... Um, the only reason why that didn't happen tomorrow when she was shot by the humans is because she she decided to not let her fear consume her. Instead, she accepted her fate and chose to to meet it in a way. So there is she does still have a disdain for humans, but there's almost just more of this uh, level headedness that she possesses. I don't know how you would have interpreted that, but that's kind of how I understood like why would these other creatures turn to demons but not moro and i think it was just because she um she did not give in to her her fear or her uh anxiety i don't know what do you think <laughs> yeah i mean i think like like very early on and we didn't we didn't say this but the curse is that like he's cursed and he will die right and like they really say that so, and, and the only reason you would say it in this particular case is like, he's going to die sooner than later. Um, but then like very quickly, like someone else just says like, you know, everyone's going to die. <laughs> Everything yeah. dies. And we then like have this like reflective shot of the 
of his tribe before he leaves. And they're just talking about how like the tribe is kind of fading and like the ages are changing. And and so there's like this immediate reflection at the start of the film about like change and the passage of time and its indifference towards like your involvement in it. Like time has just kind of like, like life, goes on beyond you and even before that the opening of the movie is like in a time before like all things the land was like forests and there were gods and then now it's this time so we're already like the opening sequence is a different time that's now gone and all that's left is like this fading age it's almost like uh the other guy uh named miyazaki i think that's his name um who runs who who does the dark souls stuff elden ring all that jazz bloodborne he's extremely fascinated narratively with like the transitional period the liminal space between ages and that's why like all of his games are set in worlds that are like dying but not just dying but like giving birth to like something new and like there's something really strange about that period of like already and not yet kind of thing and Mm -hmm. this movie is like that frustrated period between where like even eboshi is like trying aggressively to stay ahead of the game which is helping because she's able to completely decimate enemies and like take them out uh on the battlefield and like just win and take control but even then like the one thing she can't seem to beat would be death and while we don't know quite her motivation for um later in the film so we we learn that there's like there's all these gods which are basically like powerful everlasting beings that do eventually mm-hmm. pass away but then there's this thing called the deer god which seems to be a much more like much much more that's basically yeah, it like the more spirit. version <laughs> yeah and um there's sort of this motivation to like if we can get that something will happen and with the themes like the the film very much has like conversations between other characters that clearly you are not knowledgeable of what they are knowledgeable about. And that's something I appreciate about the movie that it kind of just does that. Um, Where like, you know what Ashitaka's deal is, but everyone else's you only know insofar as what Ashitaka knows, Um, which is always really, I appreciate that that's treating me like an adult. Uh, I can, (laughs) I can presume what the goals are, which is like, maybe if we can get this dear God, kill it or capture it or do something, Mm -hmm. maybe we can have some form of immortality because Eboshi can clearly through, I don't mean coerce in a violent way, but like coerce men and women to her, will she's clearly shown she can coerce nature to her will but death Mm -hmm. will clearly get her like everyone else um so when i think of like the idea of like corruption with these other gods and then even corruption in ashitaka himself like there's this attraction to permit like the prime single antagonist to the human life which is death with just fury and anger and like violence um well i'm gonna die anyway and if you believe like there's nothing afterward then there is nothing to stop you from doing anything you want ever (laughs) um Mm. they can lock you up and you can just kill people and break free like that because you what does it matter after i die nothing exists anyway so you would have this almost like horrible sense of like uh just I don't know, your your own sense and self would just deteriorate to something so inhuman, I feel like, if you kind of become like that. And so 
when I think of like what's happening to these boars, these creatures, like they have so given up on their lives in a way that's not, that's just so toxic that it makes sense yeah. that they turn into these like creatures and worms. And I, I think yeah. it's like even like an old idea that like worms, bugs, flies, they didn't mm-hmm. come from like something before. It was just when you died, they almost just manifested out of existence. So the idea of like these things turning into worm-like demons is almost like that imagery of just like they're alive, mm-hmm. but they're dead. Like they yeah. are dead and now they only produce death. And um, yeah, so that's kind of what I think. And I think Ajitaka being cursed just puts a death more on his mind, mm-hmm. even though, yeah, he was going to die someday anyway before. <laughs> like it's, a, yeah. it's just now it's closer, you know, like it, yeah, he could have, he could have present. His motivation seems to be like, can I go see the dear God and have the dear God take the curse away from me? And right. there's this kind of wonderful scene where he's injured and is going to die and the dear God heals the injury, but he's still cursed. And he just starts weeping because he's like, I'm still cursed. Like, I'm still yeah. going to die. <laughs> like, it's like, there's something super sad about that. Yeah. Hey there, listener. Want to influence the podcast? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine and support the show for $3 a month. In doing so, you'll be able to vote on a movie poll that picks a film we discuss each month. So jump on over there and have your voice heard. Yeah, he's come face to face with it. And I think that um, he also, his life is really all that he has left because when, after he got cursed, the people of the village said, no matter what happens to you, even if you somehow survive this, once you leave this village, you can never come back. Yeah. And there's like a whole yes. reason for that, that they explain in, in the film. But she said, basically, no matter what, you're dead to us. So the only thing he had going for him was not even the chance of going back home. It's just, can I live a little bit longer? Can I survive this somehow and find a new path um, or to see with eyes unclouded by hate, which is what the, um, Mm -hmm. the old wise woman foretold he would need to do, which he ended up needing to do in this new place. So, uh, yeah, no, it's just, it's really, really fascinating. I think this film just has a lot that, um, can be shared or can be thought about after you've even watched it a few times. Yeah, no. Um, any favorite moments for you in the, in the film or any favorite characters that you really, um, enjoyed? the second time around well unfortunately i was watching this pretty late so Mm. my answer is both my opposite answer i liked the ending of this film a lot Mm -hmm. but i was also getting very tired so i was (laughs) like all right let's get on with this let's get going because it's two hours 13 minutes and it's like 11 30 and i'm tired (laughs) (laughs) but um i started this movie pretty late um unfortunately so that was on me but on me i take that on my forehead so but uh i like the ending of this movie i i like that um at some point everyone is confronted with just like the wave of death so to speak Mm -hmm. uh, as is displayed through the movie so um so we've talked about all these factions we've talked about the corruptive nature of hate in this movie um and we've talked about sort of the moral ambiguity of of which these characters function and that like as characters work together, you might cheer as they decide to help each other, but then you're realizing they're going against people you also like too. So you're like, ah, darn it. And 
then we get to this ending where, uh, which again, if you haven't seen this movie from 1997 already, one of the most popular movies Shame on, on IMDb, like number, <laughs> I think like number 79 on top rated movies, IMDb. Uh, if you did not watch this movie back in the Cartoon Network days, what are you doing? But hmm. so we're all that to say is we're going to talk about the ending um, and more detailed, specific stuff, spoilers, so to speak. Um, the movie gets to this point where these factions are all starting to culminate and meet each other. There's been this battle where some boars have died, and now the god boar is going to return to... Um, he's going to rush to the deer god and say to the deer god, like, give me my strength back, bring me like my people back, my, my warrior boars back, and we'll fight again. Um, you have Eboshi, who has been tasked with the emperor by the emperor to kill um, the deer god and get its head. Um and we're pretty sure it's because he wants like maybe immortality, but even the people aren't like quite sure what, right. uh, which I appreciate it that there's this like unknowingness. There's, there's a lack of care almost. They don't know if it'll work. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Shitaka wants to get there cause he knows what's happening. And he also knows like, I need to tell Boshi, like your, your people are being attacked by these foreign samurai, the this samurai, alternative yeah. like group. And so everything's happening. Um, it is hitting the fan as they say. And, um, <laughs> Finally, the boar god, as he's getting closer, starts to become cursed. Mononoke's mother is, quote-unquote, is like, not quote-unquote, quote-unquote dead, dying, but waiting right. to then protect, Jeez. essentially, yeah. the dear god. It's uh, it's pretty cool. Um, And then finally, they all meet together, and the dear god appears, and the dear god removes the curse from the boar god, but then still has both the boar god and the wolf god die and pass away. Um, because every time, like, first off, aesthetically, it's neat. It's like a deer that walks gently and silently. There's no noise whatsoever. When it steps on land, things grow. And when it lifts its foot, things die. Uh, when it walks on water, that's what it does. It walks on water. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, uh, it shows up. Ashtak is still cursed. And then as it transitions, because during the day, it's a, a deer and at night, it's the Nightwalker, whatever that particularly means, not quite sure. It's that big, tall thing walking through the trees. Basically. It's super cool. <laughs> um, I'm sure some of these things are lost in us as as Westerners, as Gaijin, who do not know anything about uh, Japanese folklore. But um, uh, when it's in the midst of its transitional period, because now the sun is setting, um, Iboshi fires a bullet at the head of the deer Forest god. Spirit? It explodes. And then this bubble starts to burst and the bubble is like a wave that spreads out. And if it touches something, it just immediately kills it. And then we turn, we see that it turns into a giant headless creature and it is searching for its head. And um, yeah, I really like the ending because it kind of puts into perspective that everything, side characters, little cute creatures that shake their heads like little rattles, yeah. um, everything that is touched by this creature will die. Um, mm-hmm. and so whatever war was going on, whatever iron you were smelting, whatever joy <laughs> you had, all of it's just going to vanish and yeah. you have to get away from this. And yet, um, the people who are, who have caused this to happen mm-hmm. are carrying the head of this God away and the creature is just looking for its head while also spreading death. And it seems to be that there's a distinction between these two things that the creature itself is oozing death everywhere. And then the head, which is locked up when it's opened later in the film has like a, a, a pure water look to it. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like yeah. life is, I think the assumption here. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, I like this a lot. I thought this was um, 
like to it, there was something like almost like something about it gave it that quality of like there's more going on in the world of these characters yeah. than even these characters realize and that's something yeah. i really appreciated i think just the concept of death does that to man anyway life and death those two things i think assert that there is there must be something more going on than just the cosmos decided upon its own randomness that we exist and then also decided on its randomness that we die too. Like I just, mm-hmm. I like that there's purpose that seems to be going on um, in the story. Now in the real world, I think there's knowing purpose through the word of God of why these things exist. But I like the mysteriousness of the movie. Hey, don't forget, there's a lot of fun content missing from this episode because you're not listening on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine and support for $3 a month to gain access to uncut episodes with upwards of 40 minutes of bonus content each. You'll thank me later. Uh, when we were getting ready for this episode, uh, or even just talking about anime movies, you were talking about mm-hmm. Princess Mononoke and you you mentioned the ending a lot. Did, did you find like the ending, the sequence, all of this just like really connected with you or... Yeah, yeah, I kind of just I I loved how everything came together at the end where it's just like it's not it, it kind of like you said just like some of the the major things just started to not matter and it was just about how can we yeah. all come together to survive <laughs> and to live. Yeah. And so um just seeing Ashitaka and San work together to restore the head of the forest spirit this dear like god um and even just at the end Jigo who's like this you know conniving guy in the background trying to get the head so he can collect the money from the emperor blah 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 so just even Mm -hmm. seeing him still trying to fight to like the very end and how futile it was because they were literally all about to die unless they returned the head of the forest spirit um it's just like I, i just thought it was so captivating and then my what i loved about the end and again major spoiler so if you plan on watching it don't listen to this was the end and how when the forest spirit receives its head back, he it kind of just falls on everything because it's so huge. It falls on Irontown. <laughs> yeah, it falls yeah. in the forest. It like wipes away everything. So everything, especially everything that was man-made, like the homes, the forges, everything, it kind of just decimates all of that. And it does it so that new life could spring up and so that they could have a second chance. And I feel like Mm -hmm. it was a hopeful ending because even though they still decide to live apart, uh, Iboshi makes this desire to build a better town and to find Mm -hmm. a better way because she realized that San and the other, you know, the people of the forest, like they saved them. And I don't know if you noticed this, but I'm pretty sure at the end of the film, you also realize that the people who had leprosy were cured. Yeah, they're all cured. Um, and yeah, yeah. Ashitaka loses his curse. It isn't he until this moment yeah, that he loses yeah. his curse. It's super interesting. And even this, the distinction that like the forest is back, but only in an infantile form. Yeah, it's like starting over, um, trying again. And they have to like wait to like, earn its resources back yeah. there's something really like kind of like there, there's yeah there's a recognition in the in the patience and transitional period of like life and mm-hmm. you know it makes me think of like even 
it it made me think of a lot of some of the stuff we were actually talking about in our Patreon thing. And I'm not spoiling that for people. So <laughs> you still got a reason, of course, to go support on Patreon for $3 a month. Um, but uh, link in the description in the show notes. But we talked a lot about like God's sovereignty and like God's will and like his wisdom, his is nature that god that god Mm -hmm. is and so like there isn't a nature in which god changes god simply is and that is who he is and and in this sense like that means the way he's created things is within his wisdom and so the idea that things take time take work take effort take progress there's wisdom to be understood through that the film's kind of ending is sort of in the contentment of finally accepting reality as it is, which is that like things take time, things die, um, things come back. Mm -hmm. And like, there's those like three aspects are kind of fascinating and how like hatred is, I think the lack of acceptance of those aspects. And yeah, cause like, I think if each, if each group, took the time to, I'm not going to breakfast club it and say like, if each group just took the time to talk, if they could just all go to detention (laughs) and just talk to each other, they would just realize (laughs) if the dear God would just put them in detention, have them talk and give one of them a makeover (laughs) and then tell them, and like, you know, and they end up walking through the the football field with the hand in the air. So silly. There's this idea on which like they could learn how to maybe coexist and work together. I mean, I just thought of it like, but not just thought of, but I know that like sometimes the the most flourishing forests are actually man-made ones in which they recognize the dynamics in which each plant interacts with one another so mm-hmm. that plants aren't choking themselves out or killing each other. Cause they do do that. Like as they selfishly reach for the sun of which they, mm-hmm. they're not moral. So they're not like actually selfish, <laughs> but like they do end up right. decimating and killing each other. And so Get there's this way in which like the human's involvement in, the pruning and caring for these plants actually preserves and better takes care. Of so there's like something about like that ending in which the contentment recognized in the way the world is permits this co coexistence. And yeah, I just, I think that's great because it's also in recognition of like death is such a primary problem in which they mm. all have to worry about every character. Exactly. In this movie Everybody to had about. to be scared. Like nobody <laughs> yeah. was safe. And yeah, and I and I just think the the resolution, as as you said, is um, it feels like it. There's there's aspects of it that feel very real, and again, are things that we can we can understand from a real perspective and and can resonate with. And I think that yeah, even San's response of just saying I can never, you know, I I can't I can't just like snap my fingers and like accept what the humans have done, but. Yes. I will always be near. And like, you know, there's this like, okay, everything's not settled and we're all not going to be like on the same page immediately. But this is like a start, a start to something new and a start to something better. And so I think that's just what I also just really appreciated about the film. I just think overall, it's very well-rounded. I know that we've given a lot of like splashes and spoilers and like chunks of this film, but I think if you haven't so seen it much. in a long... Oh my gosh, so, <laughs> so much. But much I think if movie. someone hasn't seen this before or if they haven't seen it in a long time, like maybe since they were a kid, I would highly recommend watching it again just because I think it would 
um, you would see a lot more of the film. You you'd view the film a lot more differently than you than you had the first time. So, yeah, it's just it's just a great movie. It's really really solid. And I even think the the dub. And I know anime fans are gonna hate me, and I don't. <laughs> care. Did you watch the dub? I did. Of course, I did because it's actually a really good uh, casting. I, I, I think I'm sure it's good. I see John DiMaggio's in it. Love my boy yes. Marcus Phoenix. They also had Claire Danes. They I had see that. Um, yeah. uh, Billy Crudup. They got um, Minnie Driver. They had Keith um, what's his name? Um, Tara Strong, of course. Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, yeah, like just these, a lot. these very compelling actors. Um, yeah, I just think it's. It's wonderful. And I'm glad we got to talk about it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, that's I, one of my favorites. Interestingly, as we've been talking about it too, I'm realizing, so So we've already kind of pre-scheduled a lot of the other stuff we want to talk about uh, during anime. And mm-hmm. it's when I reflect, I'm like, oh, all of these are kind of the same. <laughs> yeah. They all have such similar <laughs> like tropes and themes. There's wow. such a, like... It's just, I, I don't want to spoil it because this is the first one coming out, but just because right. I think part of the fun will be seeing what anime we talk about, but they have a mm-hmm. lot of similarities, like these meditations on life and death, yeah. um, death being a primary problem, communication, mm-hmm. connection. Um, and it's just, I, th- I think it's fascinating to kind of observe cross-culturally how there's these very relatable, universal stories um or concepts that can be kind Mm -hmm. of expressed and explored because yeah like i think mononoke is also very much uh like a japanese influence bred story but Mm. it's extremely accessible uh yeah in like its adventure in its story in its action it's animation it's music we didn't even talk about that it's so oh my gosh. good beautiful, it's really good <laughs> beautiful music even when they they end up going to like the forest the deer gods like pond and like the style of instrument and music i'm like oh my gosh they had to have used all that as like temp music and like references for elden ring because there's like a location with like the exact <laughs> yeah. aesthetic it's like crazy but yeah um, no it's it's, it's great so good and uh, it's like the first thing you'll notice with the movie is the music because it's so sweeping and 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 uh, yeah, the movie is very much epic in that respect. Did you know Cinematic Doctrine has a blog? Visit cinematicdoctrine.com to read extended thoughts on movies or movie industry news from our contributors. Plus, you can find our podcast on there too. I think I think I'm winding down. I think mm. my night is coming to an end. So I think it's probably time for time for recommendations. What do you uh, recommendations? Do you I feel like we should have theme music for that. I'll brainstorm. I could, I could brainstorm some theme songs. Um, I had one and then I lost it. I can go first. That's fine. Yes, please, please do. Yeah. So I figured it'd be fun to recommend anime that I watched, uh, of course, a long time ago, but now. I'm just kind of reminding myself was good. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to recommend anything f- familiar or similar to Princess Mononoke. Mm. But it is still, I think, a really good show. It's super funny. It's very short. I mean, these mm-hmm. episodes are like three minutes long. They're so short. Um, it is called Inferno Cop from Studio Trigger. Oh, okay. Um, set in Jackknife Edgetown. Uh, Inferno Cop has to <laughs> okay. uh, dish out justice. He is a skeleton cop with his head on fire. It's so awesome. It's super oh funny. Goodness. It is ridiculous. 
ridiculous. It is nuts. It is over the top. It is epic. Mm. It's great. There's time travel. There is bad guys. There's <laughs> grandmothers. It's awesome. It is. So oh my funny. gosh. Um, one of the characters in the character listing is real God and then Mr. Judge. And so it's just, this is so ridiculous. It is extremely funny. Uh, there's like 13 episodes, oh 12 episodes, three minutes each. So you'll, you'll be done in no time. If you got Crunchyroll, you already have access to it. Um, mm. Check it out. It's so funny. Um, pr- and Princess Mononoke is like the polar opposite, right? So you have so much you can draw from and, and like meditate on. And it can really like push you to, to think on like how to be content in some extremely difficult and hard things. Inferno Cop just says, punch it in the face and light it on fire. Check it out. <laughs> it is so much fun. Oh man. I like, when I remember that existed, I was like, I got to talk about that. So that's how nice. I'm talking about it. I am putting in my recos, but very, very cool. That, that's it for me. What about you? Um, I'm going to, oh, I have to really do more of a deep dive. I'm finding more of a deep dive in the films that I've seen. Cause I feel like the last few films I've suggested were very, well, last time I suggested a book, but um, mm-hmm. some of the films I've suggested are kind of mainstream. Like people probably have heard of these films already. Um, but I'm going to make an argument, not an argument, but uh, a high recommendation for, it's not an anime. It is the 2010 The Karate Kid with Jaden okay. Smith. The one with Jaden Smith. Jackie Chan. What? So I know what people are going to say. It's called The Karate Kid, not The Kung Fu Kid. And what I'm going to say to you <laughs> is, I don't care. It is That's a great, okay. <laughs> that is okay. It is a, you can even just take that film and separate it from all the other Karate Kid films. I completely understand. I will not say that they are the same or related. Um, but I think it's just a really, really great um, film. Um, I think it's just a wonderful story about how these two characters come together at a time where they needed each other the most. Um, so yeah, you just have this young kid whose mom got a job in China. Um, he gets there, gets bullied. Um, and on one of these like really intense bullying moments where the kids are really pounding on him, um, his janitor comes and saves him, um, basically kicking the crap out of those kids so that they'll leave him alone. And and Jackie does a really great job. It's like, you know, he does, he's very good at like having character as he's fighting. So he doesn't just like turn himself off and then just starts like beating up on a bunch of kids. You can see that he's trying to like tell them to stop, leave him alone. And you can clearly see it's all self-defense. Um, so that's just one of the little elements that I like in the film anyway. Um, and just kind of <laughs> teaching, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to go off on a tangent, but the that's point is, good. is that, um, you just have this young kid who's able to stand up for himself, um, in a way that is more than just beating up other kids, but it's a way of him overcoming fear and anxiety. Um, and in a way that it, and it is done in a way that I think is, is positive because I think they, not I think they, but they do do like a, a competition. So it's not just kids beating each other up in an alley. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's just. Which is still cool. <laughs> sure. <laughs> right. But, and it's just, um, just a lot of really great moments, a lot of really good, um, well choreographed fight scenes um, and fun for kids, fun for adults. I think the, and you even just learn a little bit more about Jackie's character and his history as well. Um, without it feeling too labored. It's just, 
it's just a great film. Again, I know it's very mainstream. A lot of really, a lot of people probably already watched it and have their opinions on it already. But <laughs> if you haven't seen it yet, I would highly recommend it. I think it's a really good film. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.